This is a podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. The dictionary definition of disciple is a student or follower of a teacher. And what's the main responsibility of a student? It's to learn. In our pursuit of discipleship of Jesus, we must be learning the ways of Jesus, not just so that we can have lots of knowledge, but so that we can know Jesus and follow his commands. Today, we look at why we learn Jesus's ways and what those ways are as we continue to discover how disciples look and act. You know, when kids get to a certain age, usually I think it's middle school, high school, they uh, come to this place where uh, they just start asking, like, why am, I, why am I learning this? Like, why am I going to school anymore? I mean, if you haven't heard it as a parent yet, then I'm just warning you in advance that it's going to come, that most kids will be like, you know, why, why am I learning this? It's boring. It's pointless. Um, I'm not learning anything valuable. And, you know, in reality, coming home and trying to explain to a kid uh, why they're learning theorems for geometry and what that benefit is going to be in their long-term life can be hard and can be challenging. Uh, you, you, uh, if you wonder to yourself, how does knowing the 31st president of the United States help me in my overall life? And if you don't know who the 31st president is, it's Herbert Hoover. So, um, but most of us, especially nowadays, we'll just pull out our phone and we'll ask Siri or we'll ask Google, and our ans- our questions will be answered. One of the greatest pieces of advice that somebody gave me along the way when I was struggling with those questions myself was that it wasn't so much about um, the, the stuff that I was learning. It was what I was learning about learning, that I needed to be constantly learning. And yeah, some of the material may not have been significant. Some of it may have felt boring, but there was a need to keep learning and keep that posture of learning. And, and just like we learn in school, and you know, some of us probably don't continue on when we get to a certain age, but we need, as followers of Christ, to constantly be learning. We need to always be learning. And if we get to that place where we think we've figured it all out, where we've got it all together, and we've understood and learned everything that there is to learn, then we probably need to check ourselves because um, there's a whole lot more to learn. If we study church history, um, we can, from the disciples onward, and we look at the process by which people who considered themselves to be disciples were trained and and learned, they instituted this process, which they called catechesis, uh, in the church. And that word actually comes from the Greek word, which means instruction by word of mouth. And it was this long process before someone was baptized by which they would begin to understand, begin to learn the the, the important things Uh, We might call them the essentials of the faith, understanding who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, what did he do for us, what is the gospel, some of these specific things. And um, the expression to learn Christ was a common expression among early Christians. Michael Frost, who's a speaker and a missiologist, And an author, he says this about the process of learning Christ. He says, there's two primary reasons why we learn 
Jesus as followers, as disciples of him. The first one's this, that there's value in growing closer to Jesus, fostering intimacy with God, hearing the promptings of the Spirit, and sensing his presence through the beauty of his word. And the second one is this. We need to know him if we're going to share him as the reason for the hope we have. If we look in Scripture, there are verses about that. That are we always prepared to give an answer for the, when asked for the hope that is within us? So we learn Jesus to deepen our relationship, our intimacy with him, our, our understanding of the voice of the Holy Spirit, and our connection um, to the word of God, both the word Jesus Christ, but also the written word of Jesus Christ. And we need to know him if we're going to share him with other people. So as we have been looking at this idea of being a disciple over the past few weeks, We've looked um, at every letter having a specific focus. We started with D, which is dying to self. Are we dying to ourselves and looking to the needs of others? The second thing was investing in others. Are we investing our time, our talents, our resources into other people? S is being spirit-led. Are we listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and hearing what he says to us and, and going in the direction that he calls us to? C is for conforming to Christ. Are we imitators of God and, and conforming ourselves to the image in which we were created, the image of God? The second I is for inviting others, and it's not so much about inviting others to come to the branch or to our specific um, local expression of the church. It's inviting others to Jesus, just like the woman at the well did, inviting someone to see, and that's what our testimony is, and inviting people into the story of God that we've already been enveloped into. And then last week, we looked at what it means to be prayerful to be constantly in connection, intentional connection with the Father through the Spirit in the name of the Son. And today we look at this idea of learning Jesus' ways. And if I think about what it means to learn and specifically learn Jesus' ways, the question, there are questions that automatically flood my mind. If, if you all are like me, I sometimes have more questions than I do answers. And so those questions flood my mind. And, and as I think about learning Jesus's ways, one of the big questions I ask is why? You know, why should I learn the ways of Jesus? And then the second question is, what are they? If, if these commands of Jesus are so important, what are these commands that I should be focusing? What are, what are they that I, that I need to be looking at. Now, there have been streams of the church as long as the church was established uh, by God, by, by Jesus calling his people out, that have so focused solely on what happens to us after we die, which is an important part of what Jesus has done for us. If we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel is that God created us in his image, we, and he created us for perfect relationship with him. Through sin, that relationship was broken and God created, God made a way for us back to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And through that relationship with Christ, we can be saved. And, and there have been streams of the church that have looked at that and said that, okay, 
as long as I get my fire insurance, as long as I am saved after I die, what I do up to that point is not as significant. But if you're like me, that's not a satisfactory answer. Because I think Jesus dying, yes, it's significant that he gives us eternal life, but what about now? Does Jesus' death and resurrection do anything for us now? It should make a difference for how we live here and now. And so if we look at um, the words of Jesus, one of Jesus' most beloved disciples, I think we get a, a, a better answer of why should we learn. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 John chapter 2. Um, if you have a, a physical Bible, it's towards the end of your Bible. If you have an app, it's easy to just scroll there, I guess. So, um, 1 John chapter 2, and, and the Apostle John wrote uh, these letters to the early church, just like he wrote uh, his own gospel. He also wrote uh, the, the revelation as well, the, the letter that, or that so many people avoid because, you know, either we don't want to talk about the end times or it scares us, so we just kind of put it aside. But, um, but John's letters are very different from revelation, so don't get scared before we, we jump into this this morning. 1 John 2, starting in verse 3, this is what he writes. He says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We know that we have, come, we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. John makes that pretty clear here. That for us to know whether we get it or not, whether we're really following him, we're going to start following his commands and actually studying them to know them. Um, you know, we may be able to recite and say, oh, I know the Ten Commandments, or, you know, I know some of Jesus' commands, but is it just a matter of reciting them, or are we actually studying them and saying, okay, am I doing these? Am I living by these things? You know, when it comes to Jesus' commands, Jesus' laws, we can't plead ignorance. I don't know how many of you who drive have ever gotten pulled over and tried to explain yourself out of something by saying, oh, well, officer, I, I didn't know. You know, I, I didn't see that the, the speed limit was 35 when my foot was on the pedal that was making my car go 60 in this zone here, right? Like, oh, I didn't realize that I was supposed to stay and not cross the double yellow line in the middle. Um, I don't know if, it, hey, talk to me if you've actually, if that's actually worked when you've talked to a police officer before, because I don't think it does. And if we think about the commands of Jesus, our ignorance of them doesn't give us a pass. It doesn't give us an excuse to say, well, you know what? I love Jesus. I love that he's given me eternal life, but I don't really know his commands because I don't study them. So I'm off the hook, right? No, we're not. Ignorance of Jesus' Jesus' commands does not give us a pass. And John goes on to say that if we know Jesus but don't know or keep his commands, he goes so far as to say that we're liars. And some of us might be like, ooh, whoa, those strong words here. 
you know, you're offending me, John, by, by calling me a liar just because I don't keep Jesus' commands. But think about the guy who's writing this. This was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of the ones who gave up everything to follow him. And at the end of his life, he was secluded to an island all by himself. And he gave up everything for Jesus. So for him to be calling people liars who aren't keeping the commands of Jesus, it's not like he was saying, okay, well, you know, do that and, and you don't have to worry about it. But like he had lived it out. He had actually sacrificed to, to follow Jesus. And to John's point, if we don't keep Jesus' commands, how will others know that we're his? You know, I think that's one of the challenges in the world that we live today is are we as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, are we living in such a way that people look at us and they don't see us so much as they see Jesus in us? Because if they can't see Jesus, then there's probably something wrong. Jesus, he came to live among us. He put on flesh. He moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson said in, in his paraphrase of the Gospel of John. That's how John, the same one who wrote this letter, that's how he starts his Gospel. He says, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelled among us. He came. He moved into the neighborhood. He was incarnate, God in flesh. And Michael Frost, the same one I quoted earlier, he said, Just as God took on flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus, so His followers are called to dwell among those to whom they're sent. We incarnate Jesus because we, his church, we represent him in the world. Now, how can we possibly re represent Jesus to the world if we don't really know him? You know, think about if, you know, so those of us who are parents too, I think sometimes when our kids act up, one of the big reasons like we start freaking out is because we're like, they represent us. And we think that, hey, like, they are a reflection of me. And so when they start acting poorly, then I'm going to feel like, ooh, well, people see them and they see me. If we think that, those of us who are parents, about our own children, how much more does God look at us as his disciples, his children, and say, hey, you are a reflection of me. And when people see you, they're going to see me, hopefully. And that could be a good thing or that could be a bad thing. Jesus told his followers, his disciples, the importance of learning and living his commands because Jesus in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. This same John who wrote 1 John decided that in his gospel, he was going to emphasize that that was one of the things that Jesus said. That Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You know, how, how many of us have ever been asked to do something really difficult in our lives? And, and whether we've done it subconsciously or consciously, I think a lot of us will ask ourselves, who's asking me to do this difficult thing? Like if it's just somebody off the street, we may have a harder time. But if it's our husband or our wife, if it's somebody in our family and they're asking us to do stuff, I think the likelihood of us making a sacrifice for someone we love is going to be higher. It's going to be greater. You know, when, I, when Carrie and I got married 20 years ago, 
uh, I started growing my hair out because I had never grown my hair out before. And I went through all that awkward stage of like the in-between where you can't put it in a ponytail. You just got to have to like deal with the, the crazy like hair going in every direction and stuff. And, and finally I grew it. And my poor mom, you know, my mom had two boys. I'm the younger of the two. I was always her baby, and my brother was always kind of on the edge, always doing things rebellious, and he grew his hair out in college, and she was like, oh, so finally he cut his hair, and then I had made the announcement that, hey, guess what? I'm growing my hair, and she was like, oh, you got to be kidding me, right? My baby's going to grow his hair out long, so I grew my hair when Carrie and I got married, and, you know, 10 years into our marriage, my mom... Um, got cancer, and I knew that her time was ending, and I still had long hair at that point. And I thought to myself, you know, how can I show my mom in these last days that her son loves her? I thought, well, you know, I've been growing my hair for 10 years, but I should probably cut it so that the last thing she sees of me is short-haired baby boy, because, you know, once a baby, you're always a baby. So, So that's what I did. But, like, it was because of love that I made that choice. And hair's, you know, hair grows back for most of us, at least. You know, some of us, some of us maybe not so much. Sorry, Matt. But, um, but so some of us, you know, uh, our hair will grow back. But how much more so when we're called and when we're lo- in a loving relationship with God, and we say, hey, how can I show them, how can I show God that I love him? No, it's not cutting our hair, but what is he calling us to in keeping his commands? You know, this talk of following Jesus' commands begs the next question. You know, if we answer the why, and it's why because we love him, why because it lets other people know whose we are, the next question is, what are the commands of Jesus? I mean, if, if all, of, all of us read through the Bible, and some of us have done that before, some of us haven't, but we might say, like, I've never sat down with a pen and paper and written down every single command of, of God or every command that Jesus has given me. So where do I start? This is incredibly overwhelming. In verse 6, John writes that if we claim to live in Jesus, we must live as he did. And the primary place for us to see how Jesus lived is as we look at the Gospels, at at Matthew, at Mark, at Luke, at John, within the Bible. Michael Frost, again, he says, we're to figure out what Jesus would want us to think, be, and do here and now. We must know the Gospel forward and backward. So hopefully throughout the week, besides just Sunday or podcasts that we listen to, we're spending intentional time getting to know who Jesus is. And we're spending time in God's word, reading it and saying, hey, what, what is it that I need to know about who you are? And in that time, are we spending intentional time in the gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. If you haven't done it before, one of the things I had to do in seminary, which was a fascinating thing for me, and some of us, it's going to be harder than others, but it's just to take one of the Gospels and from start to finish, read it like no stops. I mean, you need to carve out some time to do this, but if we think about the Bibles that we have, they're divided into chapters and verses, but that's not the way that it was initially. 
when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote out their Gospels, they weren't divided in all these little sections. It was like a letter that you would get, and you just read through it. And so I encourage you to do that and to see what God shows you as you do that. But if you don't have time, if you don't have bandwidth to do that, are you taking time to just say, hey, can I find a reading plan to read through the Gospels as part of my daily routine? And, you know, maybe it's not every day that you get a chance to to get into Scripture, but every other day. And the beauty of technology is that there are Bible apps out there with Bible plans that can give you a thing. So you don't have to figure it out on your own. You can find a way to say, hey, I'm going to read the gospel. Please don't be like me too and like open up that app every day and feel guilty because you missed a day. Like that's the big drawback for people like me is that I get a little obsessive at times. But, um, but they're beautiful for being able to give us this mechanism by which we can go through and read the Bible. That Now, don't hear me say in this that the rest of the Bible isn't important because I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the, the Gospels which show us Jesus are an important part of our overall study of God's Word. And so, yeah, we need to be studying the Old Testament as well. We need to be studying the rest of the New Testament. But in that, as we look at what we would call the whole counsel of God in Scripture, are we learning Jesus, seeing how he lived, because the gospels put in clear perspective and focus who Jesus was and is for us. Learning the commands of Jesus and listing them out would take far longer than just a a, a simple sermon on a Sunday morning, but we need to start somewhere and one of the greatest places, again, for us to know, hey, what's the most important here is to look at Jesus' words. If you turn over in your Bible to Matthew chapter 22, we hear straight from Jesus what he says about the importance of his commands. In Matthew 22, starting in verse 36, someone comes up and asks Jesus, um, and it's one of the Pharisees who usually were trying to catch Jesus in something, They say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus is saying that if you're going to look at commandments, if you're going to look at all the commandments, like they're all important, but if you want to summarize them, I've got two for you. The first one is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was asked this question by those who considered themselves to be experts in the law. And we see Jesus come face to face with them over and over again. The Pharisees and other experts of the law that Jesus came face to face with were a prime example of knowing a lot and doing jack about it. They were the ones who, they could sit there and they could recite thing after thing after thing after thing. But if you ask them, how are you living that out? They'd be like, it doesn't matter whether I'm living it. It's all here, man. I got it. doesn't matter. But Jesus showed them that it's not just about imbibing this information. Having Jesus' commands and not doing them doesn't mean squat. We need to have both. 
And Jesus tells them that it's not just about knowing the commands, it's about living them as well. If we're learning Jesus and not living Jesus, then we don't really know Jesus. All right, let me say that again for those of us like me who may be a little thick, okay? If we're learning Jesus and we're not living Jesus, then we don't really know Jesus. We can know. I mean, even the Bible says, hey, Satan, the enemy, he knows a lot of stuff. He knows Scripture. He ain't doing anything about it. So if we say that we know God and we don't do what he calls us to, then we don't really know him. Jesus tells us these two commands are the the greatest commands, love God and love others. And the first part might be easy. We might say, you know what? I can love God, yeah. The second part where we're like, ooh, yeah, love others. Okay, well, what do you mean by others? What do you mean by my neighbor? Is it like my literal neighbor? Is it like the people I share a house with? Like, no, no, your neighbor is like anybody you come in contact with any day. See, we cannot love God and not love others because it's out of our love for God that we love others. The only way that we can love our neighbor is when we love God. Because otherwise, it's going to be hard. What happens when it's hard? We're going to just abandon those neighbors. We're going to say, sorry, peace out, I'm gone. No, it's through our love for God that we're able to love others. If we're following all the other commands of God and we're not loving our neighbors as ourselves, it doesn't matter. It's out of love for God and love for others that will obey him and his commands. When we love God, we want to do what he asks of us. Like a loving relationship with someone will cause us to want to make sacrifices for them. Is it possible to love someone and not want to please them? I'm sure, whether people watching, whether people here in this space, at some point in our lives, we've come to a place where we thought that we were loved by somebody else, and then along the way, we woke up and realized, hold it, like, I don't think this is really love, because they're not treating me like somebody who loves somebody else. They're not sacrificing the way that love sacrifices. And we need to get out of there. We need to say, hey, no, I'm gone. True love makes sacrifices. And true love loves in return. John, the same John of the passage that we looked at, looking at this morning, he said that we love him because he first loved us. We respond to God's love to us by loving him back and by loving other people. If we say that we love somebody or if somebody says that they love us and they're not willing to make the sacrifices, they're not willing to seek out our benefit, then I don't think it's really love. That's fake news, okay? (laughs) That's not true. If somebody says that they love you and they're not willing to show that through what they do. If we love God, it will be evident not just in the things that we do for him, but in the things that we do for others. You know, in today's day and age, we talk about orientation a lot. The orientation that followers of Christ need to focus on first and foremost 
is concerning ourselves with orienting our lives towards Jesus Christ and the things of him. We can talk orientation all day long, but if we don't start there as followers of Christ, if we don't orient ourselves towards Jesus, it doesn't matter. Because we're not orienting right. We are not orientated right if we're not starting with Jesus. When we love God, we do what he asks and we love others as well. You know, one of the things that I think I've struggled with all my life when it comes to, like, studying God's Word is where do I start? I mean, there's 66 books in this big book here. And, you know, some people start in Genesis and, like, they're done by the time. I mean, if they make it to Exodus or Leviticus, like, they're like, all right, peace out. I'm putting this back on the shelf. I'm done. I can't do it. I can't do it. And so it's hard. This isn't a book that we, like, go from cover to cover and, like, feel like we're winning, you know? It's hard. So if you're struggling, if you're trying to figure out how do I get to know God more, start with John's letters. First, second, third John, they're among the shortest books in the Bible. There's only a few chapters in each. And it's all about love. I mean, it's really, I, I think it's, they're good books for us to study at the time that we are in history right now. Let's talk about love, right? Okay. So if you're trying to figure out, hey, how do I start? I'm overwhelmed in trying to study the commands of God, the commands of Jesus. Start with first, second, and third John. And then start with the gospels as well. I strongly recommend doing that. And John's words um, are that we love God because he first loved us. We love our neighbors as ourselves. And 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So like when in doubt, you know, the big thing, if you hear nothing else today, and you're like, well, what are commands of Jesus that I need to follow? Love, okay? I mean, it's like the little kid in Sunday school, right? Like the answer is always Jesus for the kid in Sunday school. Like today, whatever anyone asks you, the, the answer is love. Okay, the, the command of Jesus, love God, love people. When in doubt, love. When you're unsure, love. When you're frustrated, love. When you're on the road, love. When you're at work, love. When your kids are pestering you, love. When your husband or wife is pestering you, love. When in doubt, default position needs to be love. It's the starting point for us always love. Here's here's the last thing, just to put a little bow on top of this whole thing. If we aren't loving the way Jesus loved, we aren't really living the way Jesus lived. If we aren't loving the way Jesus loved, it doesn't matter what else we've learned because we haven't learned the most important thing yet. And so, you know, for those high achievers among us who want to make sure it's all there in front of us, we're like, oh, man, I got this nailed. That's what all the Pharisees did all the time. They're like, I got this, bro. Look, I'm following all these things. I've been doing it all my life. I got this nailed. What else do I have to do? And then Jesus is like, "Mm, you think you got it? Uh Uh-uh. Are you loving? Love. Start there. Love. You hear nothing else today? Love. So what do we do with all this? First question, what are we doing to learn Jesus? You know, there, 
again, this I'll just be honest. Like one of the things I've struggled with since since I came to faith in Jesus Christ was like knowing where to start and feeling like somebody's giving me a prescription all the time of of what I need to do daily in order to deepen my relationship with God. Like there are books written about relationships, whatever. Like only you know and the person in who with whom you have a relationship know what is best for deepening that relationship. Like, yeah, there are some handy tools and whatever that people can give you, but please don't feel like those are oppressive, prescriptive methods by which you need to go about your daily day. I mean, I grew up hearing, like, you have to have a quiet time. You need to spend 30 minutes with God. And I'm like, man, I... I don't even know where to start. Like, how do I do that? Like, for some of us, maybe all we have is five minutes. In five minutes, if that's all you've got, start there. But do something to learn Jesus. And don't leave it there, because the second question is, what are we doing to live Jesus? If we're learning Jesus, but ain't no living happening, it doesn't matter. We need to learn Jesus and then live Jesus. And then ask yourself as you're doing that, do people see Jesus in how I love them? That, that's going to be kind of the metric by which you're measuring how you're doing throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year. If you're saying, yeah, I've been learning Jesus, I think I'm living Jesus, but then ask the people around you, can you see Jesus in me? And if they can't, don't get discouraged you know, don't beat yourself up and say, man, I stink. I'm, I'm a horrible person. Like, no. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. So if you blew it today, like there's tomorrow. That doesn't mean like go blow it like a champ today, right? I mean, but like if you missed it today, Realize there's grace in that. There's mercy in that. And tomorrow we wake up and we do it again. And we say, how am I going to learn Jesus today? How am I going to live Jesus today? And how can other people see Jesus in me? Let me pray for us. God, thanks. Thank you for the ways that you work in us. Thank you for the love that you have shown to us. And I pray that you would help us to learn you, to live you, and to show others you in our everyday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How well do we love God and others? We can't love God and not love others. We can't even pick and choose who to love. We need to love whoever God puts before us. When we love the way that Jesus loved, we live the way that Jesus lived. And the people around us will begin to see that there's something different about us. How are you loving like Jesus? Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.